Café in taberna. Portals, a day of wands, Wotan's day, but now belonging to a greater patriarch in St. Joseph. And today we're going to be discussing a meeting of many fathers, some of ill repute. But to do that, I have with me, as always, Classical Theist. Hello, how's it going? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm ready to talk about this lizard convention. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. As I always say, all bishops are reptiles, but some are venomous. Others are friendly alligators. Um, that, that's a good way to see it. I mean, that's how you have to see it. And then also with us today uh, is uh, Monsieur Terillion. Yes. Hi, guys. I'm here for some reason. You're here to provide <laughs> us with the via negativa on uh, BS Catholic bishop politics. <laughs> yeah yeah follow me at autism is unbreakable very that's one of the best uh twitter handles that i've seen in a while it's just a jojo reference it's one of those twitter handles that you think is fake and then someone actually has it and it's you <laughs> but yeah. um so i guess we can begin this cafe with the brief time that we have here uh with a bit of a discussion that, you know, CT and I originally, we were going to just talk about uh, the notorious Antonio Spadaro's uh, appearance in the New York Times. Spadaro being a Jesuit with Civita Cattolica. They're uh, the Vatican's more or less journal of, 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 you know, intellectual journal, which has declined incredibly since the late 1890s fans of e michael jones oh, will know yeah. what i'm talking about um <laughs> and um but ct and i originally we were going to just discuss that and as i said in the last episode we were hoping to start releasing these cafe episodes in the afternoon of Wednesday so people could enjoy them in the evening. But we were delayed because the bishop's meeting happened today and I decided to watch the live stream. That must have been painful. Um, um, it's actually really fun. I mean, on some level. like Because <laughs> one of the I like watching uh, conventions like this is because it's kind of fun to see the uh, passive aggression, the venom, the the utter firm resolve behind the very boring and gay ecclesiastical like legalese, and that is on display throughout this entire uh, conference. Maybe we could discuss some of the highlights of that later on. But the thing about church politics is you go from being extremely blackpilled and depressed about it and then eventually it gets so bad that it just resolves itself into uh 
enjoying it. For the well, this is something it. I really want to touch on before we kind of get into this, which is mm-hmm. like I see some people on Twitter trying to say that like whole um, rift between the Vatican and the U.S. bishops is is just like a um, lie concocted by like anti-Catholic media or something. That that is just not true. Like in that New York Times article, for example. Uh, it quotes Spadaro, it quotes Cardinal Ladaria, uh, um, it, it quotes Pope Francis's um, recent uh, sermons, which which touch on on, on these issues. So, uh, and and the phraseology behind some of these statements, I mean, it, it couldn't be more clear that that um, that these are agenda laden, um, right? Like for example, like Spadaro is talking about. Uh, how like you can't you you shouldn't the Vatican doesn't want you to use the Eucharist as a political weapon. What what, what does that mean? I mean you can't read that and and, and think that it's it, it's like just some sincere abstract statement. It's has, obviously agenda driven. It has clear directionality toward the Joe Biden controversy. Right. No one should be able to think otherwise. And likewise, Pope Francis's sermon talking about how oh the Eucharist is is for the sinners. It's not for the perfect. Like what is the directionality of this language. If we want to say that there's no directionality to that language, and I think we we betray common sense, okay? It's not the fallacy of narrative thinking to understand that these uh, these phrases are politically and ideologically charged, and, and we can have the wherewithal to discern the meanings underlying them. Same with our side of the aisle. Our side of the aisle will come up with the concept of Eucharistic coherence. Well, what does that mean? It's obviously directed toward, simply speaking, barring Joe Biden and people like him from communion. Right. Right. I another mean, another way of saying yeah. it too is it's 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 geared towards canonical compliance, which yes, you know, e- canonists like Edward Peters, you know, who I don't agree with every take he has under the sun. You have to give that caveat because people. You know, you mention someone's names and name, and you're all of it's like, oh, you you love Edward Peters? Well, what if he's no? Well, we're gonna have to do that when we talk about Gomez. <laughs> of course, yeah, because uh, Gomez is kind of like the protagonist in American church history right yeah. now. Like, if there were an anime about what's going on right now, like it would be Gomez and Francis like doing a stare down. He's a type four antihero. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, but he's, he's like guts from Berserk, but not cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I think Gomez is kind of cool in his own way. Um, we'll we'll get into. I mean, he is like kind of he's, he's a, kind of a boring old man, like all bishops are. But like you know, that would belie. Well, if if any, if like he's one of the rare bishops who I think does have like character behind him. Yeah. Um. So you know. Um. The big thing is is that was the USCCB was going to do this meeting anyway, and to kind of catch the listeners up a little bit, um, Biden um, was elected president, and uh, Gomez already had basically a letter drafted, uh, and Archbishop Gomez is of course he is the Archbishop of Los Angeles, not a cardinal, um. Which we'll get into that too. Yes. Um, but Gomez already had a letter drafted, so I feel like he had like two letters ready, and the other part he probably had this like 
he's probably had this planned in the back of his head since like 2008. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I I can't wait to get you, you filthy mick. Um, but but, but Joe Biden's not a mick. He's uh he's he's yeah he's not really authentically a mick. He's he's an angloid wearing the Irish Catholic mask. His uh his ancestors are East India Company men. So he's the platonic form of a plastic patty. Yeah, even among Irish Americans. So it's it's very strange that people are like talk about Joe Biden as if he's like a remnant of like the Catholic, you know, white working class. Just got to look at his genealogy. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, it John Kerry's wears the same mask and John Kerry is Jewish. His father, I believe, was it's his father his grandfather was a convert. Um, and you know, I, I think that that conversion was probably sincere, but John Kerry definitely is, 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 wears the Irish Catholic mask, mask, um, you know, for political expedience, but, um, be that as it may, and that, uh, brief digression on ethnicity does apply to Archbishop Gomez's story a little bit, but as I was saying, um, Biden gets elected, Gomez it wants to publish a letter basically giving Biden what I would call a a cold and underhanded congratulations, which um, was was very critical on you know Biden's obviously deplorable and non-Catholic, heterodox, evil take on abortion. Part uh, note, by the way, mm-hmm. this. Uh, Gomez's critical uh, reaction was, I think, followed up by the Vatican's congratulatory remarks. So this is the thing, is that it was actually the Vatican, so the news tells us, and I think it's reliable because enough people have repeated it that it's people know that this is what happened. Um, the Vatican asked Gomez to hold off before, because originally yes. Gomez was not even going to wait for the Vatican Archbishop Gomez was not going to wait for the Vatican to give their congrats, their cordial, my art, my cordial congratulations as the Holy Father's, you know, lame letter read. Um, but they told him, no, don't release this because you're going to ruin everything. And Gomez, you know, I think we can read into the situation that probably didn't please him. And then he released his statement like the day after. And it was like, you know, they told him to wait, and he waited, like, the minimum amount of time. <laughs> um, and um, and so, uh, Gomez, um, uh, Biden is president, Biden is doing his thing, and Gomez starts talking about, now that he's the president of the United, of the U- United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, about drafting documents on Eucharistic coherence, which is obviously him saying, I hate you, Joe Biden. You're a bad man. Don't receive communion. That, That's narrative thinking, Aaron. Well, look, like, th- th- these things are not divorced <laughs> of context. Perhaps ahistorical yeah. Thomism is the reason why people stopped giving a shit about Jansenism, because they had no interesting narratives. Exactly. And that, you know, uh, the content cannot be divorced from context, you know. Um, so, uh, La Daria um, responded to Gomez's, the murmurings from the USCCB office about these um, 
this Eucharistic coherent stuff and um, telling them, you know, we basically more or less saying, you know, don't, you know, we need, there needs to be more discussion. And that that's the, the brass of what it says. Um, there needs to be more discussion with the bishops. And so Gomez um, has noted this and uh, he's saying today that there... And the bishops voted 53%, when, which it, it passed. I think it was 50-some percent, rather. Let me see really quick. Um, the bishops at the meeting today uh, voted, uh, and it was like 59% of bishops voted against Archbishop Roz uh, Rosansky of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and what they voted against was the Rosansky wanted to prolong the conversation about drafting this document on Eucharistic coherence um, for obvious reasons. And I can, I can let you guys kind of take it for a second. Yeah, I mean, it, like, the thing like this is is obviously very you know, similar to, you know, congressional tactics where you, if, if you, if you don't want something to get passed, you know, you, you just prolong the debate for filibuster. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's the intention to filibuster, which, um, I mean, it, it is really sad, um, that the American Episcopate can only muster up a like slim majority to address this like obviously pressing issue about protecting the integrity of the Eucharist. But it's it it it, it is a victory. Yeah. You know. So um and the thing is is that I I I don't know if this was just the bad impressions because this is the plenary meeting this is a meeting about having a meeting mm -hmm. this is the pre-meeting the real meeting is happening in person in november i believe in baltimore probably and the um it seems like the laity and a lot of journalists were giving the impression that this was a meeting to make policy when yeah a lot of journalists were like well well, why didn't you? Why didn't you make a decision now? Well, I mean, this is obviously like all of this has to go through dozens of procedures before, right? And so, um, and the thing is, is that what's interesting about this too is what we discussed is that you know, um, Gomez uh, has been an adversary, as you mentioned. Joe, Gomez has been an adversary of Joe Biden since two thousand eight. Yes, and you know, sure. go ahead. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm sure everybody who's going to listen to this knows my positions on things like immigration, etc. Et and, you know, G Gomez's um, plans on that issue are nothing to brag about, in my opinion. Um, but you also have to consider the fact that he is, like, his position on immigration, for example, is to some extent self-interested and that's not necessarily like a, it's not necessarily a bad mark on his moral character because that's effectively the standpoint from which we approach immigration allow me to interject yeah. very quickly yeah is that Go Pe gomez has been a citizen of the united states only since like 1995 
Yes. And you know, I'm not doing like the no nothing like oh foreign Catholic info. No, calm down. No, I hate those people too. But um, it's that Gomez seems to be like a true believer in the concept of la hispanidad, which you know it's the idea of hispanismo, you know of of Spanishness that the root of Latino culture in South America, in in Latin America and in Spain is an idea of Spanish Catholicism. One could say perhaps even specifically Castilian Catholicism, right? Mm -hmm. And um, when Gomez became the Archbishop of Los Angeles, um, he brought back the votive mass, which was a mass that was meant to be in commemoration of the founding of the city of Los Angeles, which had not been done since, like, the 18th century. And that the Anglo... The, the you know, the Northern Northern European, Anglo-American, you know, um, really Irish and Italian hierarchy of the Los Angeles church had kind of let fall to the wayside since the American conquest, since the Mexican-American War. And so in Los Angeles, you had this very interestingly incongruous situation where you had um you know um white catholics i really prefer the term northern you know what i mean um because in, in some like 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 gomez is a mexican but his spanishness and like his love for like spanishness and like his commitment to like the idea of la hispanidad i think is very palpable um but like you know, the 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 northern white European um, Catholics were really the ones in charge of L.A. So you had this majority Latino, Mexican American, Hispano Hispanic, whatever, whatever term you want to use, majority Mexican American diocese being ruled over by essentially Irishmen and Italians. And so Gomez, when he was made the Archbishop of L.A., was a huge deal. And CNA, CNN made a, a huge deal about it because Gomez has been involved with Hispanic Catholic leadership initiatives and stuff like that forever, basically. Mm -hmm. And so him bringing back that votive mass um, is, is a big, like, cultural statement, you know, which is that, you know, our time the Hispanic Catholics, our time is now. And this is the thing about it, is that people talk about church unity all the time, and even the nuncio, um, you know, Bishop Pierre, in his speech to the, his pre-recorded speech to the to the conference today, um, he talked about church unity, and people will ta use unity as a, as a cudgel, as a, as a way of getting you to shut up. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is like, you know... Um, we should be united. We should be united to the common good. But at the same time, people are people. And they have their own interests, their own conception of the good. You know, and Gomez very much so on, like, immigration is very much so for his people. But th Go ahead. Let's not forget that there is an empirical component to whether immigration is good or not. This isn't a purely moral question. Yes. And... This is an area where no one in the church can really be said to have a special charism in dealing with. You know, they're just right. going along with what secular society tells us about race and immigration, that it's just this completely harmless thing and that we can all just get along without any difficulties whatsoever. Well, so in, in the so-called Anglo-American church, I, I, th <laughs> I think 
you know, someone like Gomez is probably much more aware of certain things. Possibly, yeah. And but he's he's very much so for his but but the other but that's not to like detract from that's kind of a a companion to that he is extremely doctrinally orthodox and has like a very very high amount of eucharistic piety and you you can tell us a little bit about that ct and we can get we can get terrillian's reaction to some of the stuff about gomez's biography that we were reading last night yeah yeah um i mean gomez is very very staunchly uh, anti-abortion i think we should we should recognize that about him and applaud him for that i mean it, it's not it's unfortunately not that common among the bishops to be uh, as committed to the, the cause not only against abortion but he's also very doctrinally orthodox on sexual morality and, and um homosexuality etc uh, i think he he even disbanded the um justice and peace commission um, in San Antonio, yeah, yeah, precisely because they were giving uh, too much leeway to pro-abortion elements, um, and that's that, I think that speaks volumes for uh, for what can be expected of of a good bet of a good bishop in this day and age with these kinds of uh, societal limitations that are imposed upon bishops. And, and I just think that should be recognized, um, about him and kind of tells us where he stands on, 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 on this issue about Eucharistic coherence. Right. And the thing that I'll also point out is, you know, people talked about during the last election cycle, the deep state, Right. Um, and, you know, deep embedded bureaucracies. So when he was the Bishop of San Antonio, Texas, and he got rid of the Justice and Peace Committee, um, that took a lot of, that, that took a lot of metal to do that because you're essentially, you're tangling with these like old crones that have been in the diocese possibly for decades. Right. And to do that out of reverence for Eucharistic integrity, out of reverence for the sanctity of life, for these very crucial doctrinal issues, I, I think uh, speaks to his character as a as a shepherd who does uh, le legitimately th think theologically and spiritually, which, I mean, perhaps many people would say, well, shouldn't that be the case for all bishops? Well, I mean, I think a lot of bishops just function as political administrators. Um, Unfortunately, theological that... and administrative acumen don't often go hand in hand. Right, and I think you <laughs> see that in, in spades in, in things like uh, USCCB conferences, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, where, 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 you know, that kind of, um, these kinds of, administrative and, and bureaucratic constraints really limit the ability to which good bishops like Gomez and Cordelione and, you know, Strickland can even speak frankly about issues like this, because it all has to be funneled through all of this uh, bureaucratic um, legalese that's designed to obfuscate and obscure um, the precision of our faith.
So right, I, I think I think Gomez is is commendable for with all of these impositions and limitations for trying to jam uh, something like Eucharistic piety, Eucharistic integrity, Eucharistic coherence, the sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage, to jam that into the Episcopal agenda. Um, I, I think it's important to, to, to recognize. Right. And the thing is, is like, you know, as Catholics, that's just such a stock phrase as a Catholics. Um, I know, but, but we, you know, we have the ability to understand, I think we should anyway, uh, that you can support Gomez in his fight with Biden and frankly, his fight with the Vatican, um, while not supporting him on immigration. And yeah. so, you know, you, 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 you can have a uh, nuanced position like that that is aware of context. Um, but also, you know... Well, it'd be one thing mm-hmm. if he was, like, white and emphatically, like, pro, like, mass migration, etc. I think that would be much worse yeah, I mean, you know, you know I, he's. I think it would speak to like much more corruption than where he is now, which is kind of just sort of a natural outgrowth of his cultural background. Right, and the thing is too is is the way that some even conservative Hispanic Catholics um, feel is they feel that, and I, I I vehemently do not agree with this, and will fight you know in in content and you know, in, in politique, given the opportunity, this sentiment. But the way many Hispanics feel is that, conservative Hispanic Catholics even, that, oh, the Irish and the Polish and all, all, the, all the northern ca- white Catholics, they've had their time. They've had their time, but their time is over. It's our time now. You know, mm-hmm. and, and America, and, you know, they'll, they'll kind of um, have a little bit of revanchism. Is that the term, Trillian, right? For, like, yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Over over the Mexican American War and so and this is and so you'll be talking to like someone on Twitter and you'll be like oh yeah no I I, I hate Globo Homo too and you know yeah I, I love the family and yeah life issues are very important yeah Francis confer can you know can concerns me and then they'll post stuff about like wanting America to be destroyed I know exactly I mean, the kind of accounts you're talking about I mean, you, you see even like. Uh, right wing anon accounts that are that are like this, where they where they will literally talk about Globo Homo, like I that mean, phrase. And geopolitical also concerns yeah. are always going to exist, even within Christendom, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, you can look at the the Christian Middle Ages themselves. Um, so the last point too, before we really get into the meat of this in the latter half of this program, is um that um. Go, we've been, you know, making it clear that Gomez is an old conservative warhorse. Um, you know, you can read his wiki article about all that, and uh, you know the, the past articles and stuff. It's very well sourced. That wasn't my only source in in reading. You know, this I read actually like a couple articles that he's written and other things. But um, he was also ordained a priest with Opus Dei. Yes, and that is like jp2 era iron clad you know spinal cord of like the jp2 papacy 
of conservatism. And it's important to recognize that, like, I know a lot of trads have issues with the Opus Day. I understand those issues with the Opus Day, but when we are talking about an institution as, like, arguably foregone as the USCCB, I think a background in the Opus Day is actually a very, very, very strong net positive. Right. And because and... the Opus Day does train you to be. Uh, consistently orthodox on like moral theology, for example. Right. I mean, they have rigidly so. Right. And right. Um. And the other last part w- that I would bring, someone on Twitter was just like, didn't you know Gomez, you know, cover from Mahoney? And I remember this situation from just you know being young and Catholic and reading news online. Um. Which you know, Mahone, Cardinal Mahoney, who was the last Cardinal Archbishop of Los Angeles, um. Uh, was quite the lib. They downplayed their differences, but Mahoney was still in the bishop's office as the emeritus bishop of L.A. And, you know, and basically he was meddling with Gomez's, Bishop Gomez's affairs um, even even after being reaching mandatory retirement age. And so when it was revealed that Mahoney, um, you know, had problems and corruption when it came to the sex abuse crisis as in the way LA um, Gomez just wasted no time in stripping him all official duties said he will not make any public appearances yeah so, this is all on the bookie page too I mean it's all out in the open yeah but th- so this isn't like a conspiracy <laughs> these are just events that happened um, mm-hmm. and so now uh and so the reason why I will finally say before we go into today's conference itself and into the New York Times article, um, although perhaps we've discussed that enough, but the reason we belabor this point about who Gomez is is it's like this is the man who is fighting Joe Biden right now, essentially, who is promoting this concept of Eucharistic coherence. And that if you know his past, if you know his history, it helps you understand better yes. uh, who he is, how he acts, why he acts the way he acts, and what his interests will be. And if I can, just on the significance of this, uh-huh. to a lot of Catholics, to a lot of traditional Catholics in our circles, for example, talking about Joe Biden might come off as like trite or, you know, very superficial in, 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 in the political order. And I understand that. And that's actually true to a very large extent. But Joe Biden is very important because what the church's enemies particularly in this country are trying to do is use joe biden's catholicity as a way to define for uh for our institutions what a faithful catholic looks like so if joe biden is the figurehead of what a a faithful committed you know i think a lot of these journals say very catholic person looks like then they can easily go ahead and criminalize elements of our faith by simply saying, well, those are just fringe Catholic views. They're not essential to being a faithful Catholic because Joe Biden is a faithful Catholic. So it's important to get behind people, leaders like Gomez, who are giving credibility and legitimacy to recognizing the 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 radical insufficiency 
the radical deficiency, I should say, of, of Joe Biden's capitalicity so that everyone understands that things like abortion, homosexuality, contraception, these are pivotal elements of the Catholic faith. And, and, and they're, they, they cannot be compromised on in any way. Um, and, and I just think it's very important to recognize that because they will use Joe Biden as a, a as a means of uh, legitimizing the, the criminalization of the Catholic faith. Right. Whether it be socially or if that actually happens yeah. legislatively. Right. Um, you know, so it's like, like, oh, you're being dramatic. There's no like end times persecution. It's like, shut up. Like, you know what? I feel like I say that a lot to the peanut gallery uh, as, as we've been recording. It's very important because uh, why do they focus so much on Joe Biden's Catholicism? Uh, why would they care? You know, they, they didn't focus that much on Donald Trump's Presbyterianism. I mean, a lot of the media did to mock him for it, but they, they really want to focus on Joe Biden's Catholicism. And why did they do that? Well, it's because... They, they know that it's an effective weapon against uh, uh, a robust and thriving uh, Catholic constituent, which could, if it were fully energized and able to be itself, be a strong weapon against uh, our regime. Right. Let's briefly d discuss the New York Times article, which has been um, yeah. posted and plagiarized elsewhere. Um um uh you know what, what did you think of that trillion and, and maybe you can kind because of, you're the the freshest read of it and i've been curious on your takes even though you gave us a little bit before we started recording uh trillion i i i don't understand how pope francis could just have such a cat such a cavalier attitude towards unworthy reception of the eucharist i mean for pete's sakes the confessors of kings in the past would deny communion to the king himself you know someone who could cause way more trouble for them than joe biden could but that is sectarian and not catholic in spirit as massimo fagioli has told us that's using the Eucharist so, as a political weapon. So it's not Catholic in spirit to deny Louis XIV uh, communion for his flagrant adultery? <laughs> I, it's ridiculous. These are the same people that like were, were, were saying that you know, if, if Trump were were Catholic, then, then you know we should deny him communion for his adulterous affairs. And it's like, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I would be for that. You should yeah. deny Joe Biden communion for being... <laughs> <laughs> possibly. I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to put like a little clip there and let people guess what you said. Beep. <laughs> let, you, let people guess um, what you said. Um, you don't even have to put a clip. Everyone will know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just doing it to cover my own ass. Um, but yeah, and I mean that, and that's how that that article opens up was what you were saying. CT is like Joe Biden, who is a faithful, church-going Catholic, rosary rosary rattling, pious Catholic, like rosary he is. Rosary rattling? 
Are you freaking kidding no, me? No, I mean, I, I'm kind of exaggerating, but I mean, like, that is kind of the sentiment that, that they come with. Like, he's he's so, they they do use the phrase very Catholic. Yes. Extremely often. Yeah, they, they, say, they say that about Justin Trudeau in Canada sometimes, <laughs> which is just absurd. The same guy who kicked everyone out of the Liberal Party who wasn't 100% on board with abortion. In Incredible. So yeah. um, I think we've laid out enough context. Uh, I uh, I know you didn't watch it, Trillian, but um, I watched most of it when I discovered. I would have killed myself. I would have killed myself. Oh, I we it was a good it was good just to see Cardinal. It was fun to see Supich see. <laughs> just to see Cardinal Supich. So <laughs> please, please, please implement uh, accompaniment and integration and the Morris Latiti. I didn't see a single footnote. They just crying about it. Yeah. So you could tell Gomez is just thinking to himself, like you, you, you disgusting, you, you disgusting Illyrian, you know, <laughs> like Gomez probably thinks that like Supich's like grandfather was in the Ustasha, and like liquidated. <laughs> well, Gomez is very like instinctively homophobic, which is really cool. Yeah, he's no, he's I, I like him on so many things. It's just like ah, if only. If, He's just a geopolitical rival. Yeah, you know? it, yeah. If only you were pro-American, you know. Think, think of it this way: say Thomas More thought Joan of Arc was a witch because he was English. Yeah, and so you know, if if anyone from like the, you know, Protestant identity block of like the America First, you know, coalition or whatever, is just like I'm just like, no, go away, go away. You have your own internal squabbles, okay? You know, go 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 deal with. You know, lesbian clergy and Bill Clinton. Um, so, uh, but yeah, Supich got extremely mad because uh, Cordelione is the um, head commissioner of the family department, based the family committee on the family. And essentially, uh, it's so funny. It took them six years to figure out a way to implement Amoris Laetitia with all of its heterodoxy and its problems, but they found a way. <laughs> and, um, that was what Supich reacted to was Corleone's, you know, presentation uh, did not mention Chapter 8 with the infamous footnote, which we've discussed in previous Interberna installments. And Corleone's response was basically, um, we did consider it. Thank you for your question. You're right. <laughs> and you yeah, did... we considered it, and it was, and we just say, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... And so, I, I what's interesting about this subject too? So what ended up happening? I explained the vote was you really saw in the beginning of this, and I'll have the National Catholic Register article where there was essentially that almost congressional parliamentary style squabble over allowing more time to wait for the Eucharistic coherence document to be drafted. We want more discussion and more dialogue so that you can eventually get tired conservatives so that we can eventually just get what we want anyway um is it really showed the very stark divisions in the american episcopate you know yes you, divisions that i wasn't even fully aware were that accentuated uh, especially just, i think now especially yeah but you had you know and i do wonder about some of the causes of, of why now um, I, I think it's because, you know, for instance, I mean, Strickland didn't speak. I, I wonder if he was, he probably was there. Mm -hmm. But um, it seems to me that, like, there has been, 
there, I feel like that this is the post the JP two piece, the very uneasy piece that JP two brought, and even then he didn't really bring a piece because JP two in many ways was an authoritarian pope in the way he yeah. dealt with dissenters and liberals, but the um. The status quo that John Paul II brought is over. It's it's over in the episcopate. In terms of Catholic commentary land and the way that people have decided to cope with the situation of Pope Francis and all that, that's a different thing. But what this showed today in the episcopate is that the JP2 piece is over completely. And I think that this has been like fracturing since the Obama administration especially. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's the origins of Gomez's, you know, distaste for Biden was when Obama was running. Um, it would have been the first time in 2008, correct? Yeah. And, you know, when Supich, you know, expressed concerns about that. And so I think these rifts, which have always been there, have just been getting wider and wider. And one take that you had, CT, which is interesting, was that historically, whenever the episcopacy of the United States and Rome and the Vatican get into a disagreement or a bit of a, you know, squabble. It's usually right. Rome that's on the, on the right yeah, because, side. Because historically, I mean, it's, it's the U S side of the Episcopal, which were, which are like the paragons of, of, um, you know, you know classical liberalism and, and, uh, f- liberty of conscience and, and freedom of the press and, and, and freedom of speech and all these things. And, and Rome have having, having to say, no, that's, that's the excesses that we like to call Americanism. You know, uh, it's literally the phrase Americanism of Leo the 13th. So it is interesting that, that there, there is this reversal. Um, not, I mean, I, I don't want to come off as, as if to say that, um, the USCCB is some is some healthy bastion of like theological conservatism or anything like that. That's that's not true, but I think there are enough bishops in the USCCB that, when brought head to head with the current like establishment of the Roman Curia, I think we can pretty clearly say that that, that the health, that the spiritual uh, health, is is on the side of those. Those elements within the USCCB headed by Gomez, as opposed to the current establishment of the Roman Curia, which is a very interesting reversal. So, for instance, like I think if, if Benedict, let's say like if Benedict were still Pope, for instance, yeah, and Biden was in the Oval Office, this conflict would be a lot more subdued. Of course. But Francis and the, his pontificate combined with Joe Biden makes this a very stark conflict. Mm-hmm. And so and this is a kind of what makes it a conflict. Right. And, and what's um, John Kerry was in the Vatican just this past weekend. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, Gomez, I think Archbishop Gomez, even then when he was running against Bush back in the day, I mean, zoomers will barely remember this if they remember this at all. Um, but, uh, Gomez and others, and Chapu, you know, all of the, you know, classically conservative bishops in the United States were talking with concern about John Kerry's pro-choice 
views, his pro-abortion views. Mm -hmm. And now uh, the Vatican, so it seems, is based, and, and even John Kerry has said, we don't want to do this again. Yeah. is like, we don't want to do this. We want, we want to talk, we want to talk to the Catholic Church about climate, about climate change, change and <laughs> migrants. Yeah. We don't want to talk about human dignity. We don't want to talk and about course, the family. That is music to Francis's ears because that is his those are the primary goals of his political agenda. Um right as I as I've said for other you know before and you know if you don't know what this is google it but um he wants to be on the trick or treat for UNICEF box. That's Francis's yeah. prim and and hang out with like George Clooney and get and watch movie screenings from Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. You know he's he's about power and the the things of power. Now he's the Holy Father. You know we have a certain respect to the office, but it's also like okay, compare our rhetoric to like medieval like rhetoric about popes <laughs> or rhetoric during the schism, the the Western schism. Yeah, <laughs> which um. And so here's 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 something I'll introduce that, that I'll get... We'll get into in future installments. Yes, we are, will. The conciliarism crisis and other things. But here's something I want to get both your takes on, is, is that we discussed last time a little bit about the German situation with uh, Bishop uh, Batzing and Maria 2.0 and the Germans blessing these gay unions and so on, right? I feel like... So I, I don't agree entirely with some of the trad, the, the the old like '90s trad talking points about the discontinuity of Vatic of pre-conciliar versus post-conciliar church, Vatican II obviously being the council I'm referring to. But it seems that in many ways, since the council, there has been a latent schism in potency waiting to be actualized, and that the German situation the situation with the bishops in China, and now these much more clear hostilities between the um, bishops and the Catholic Church of the United States makes that situation of this schism close, slowly, slowly more. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to alarm anyone. It's just that this is something we could deal with in our lifetimes, which means that it should be discussed like adults. Yes. You want to go first, Aurelian? I hope it happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want them gone. I want. I want those crowds gone. Those liberal crowds. They need to be. They need to go. I mean, the, the big risk is them taking the church buildings with them. That that that's mm -hmm. I guess my fear. That uh, various states are going to side with liberal bishops and taking the church buildings, and it's going to cause a lot of confusion. But at the end of the day, we need to rip off the bandaid. And so, like, you know, to anticipate maybe some concerns, like, oh, it's a sin to to, to, to hope for schism. Well, it, it's not that, like, we're like, oh, no, go away. It's that these people have, these bishops have been open about their defiance to the magisterium and even to Rome, yeah. current Rome. All right, yeah, current Rome, yeah. Now, I don't want to say about this, I am, I'm very concerned about, the possibility of, of schism only because you know yes I do believe this is on the horizon but I think it's far enough on the horizon that you know th th this could certainly happen post Francis and if it happens post Francis then I, we have we really have no idea what the what, what the papacy is going to look like 
at that time, you know, and uh, it, it's very possible that a schism situation could uh, eventually make matters much worse if we have a pope that's like much more favorable to them than the current one, which is in many ways at odds with them, you know, um, is antagonizing them and maybe not as much as his predecessor would be right now, but certainly uh, cannot be said to be on the German bishop's side by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm concerned about the, the uncertainty about it. I don't know what situation that I would like to see come about. I, I would just say that um, I think what's needed right now is a a spirit of frankness and straightforwardness when we talk about these things uh we should not be overly scrupulous about um, discussing uh, hierarchical structures in in uh, the church for fear of being magisterially disobedient or something i don't think that's something that we necessarily have to worry about under the under these conditions because uh, a static schism is probably likely and then when that does happen we have to have a a, a theological mechanism in our own minds to, to cope with that to deal with that you know not cope with the mimetic sense but you know just to deal with it um and that requires frankness preceding the disaster right and you know during the western schism itself there were saints saints that are venerated today yeah, that... but we're on both sides of it right and, you know, St. Vincent Ferrer, the angel of the apocalypse, who, you know, um, by the power, divine power of God, resurrected entire graveyards, um, he was wrong about who the Pope was. Mm -hmm. It's true. I mean, he, he eventually, you know, amended his position. when he Was it Catherine of Siena who showed him? No, 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 no. Was it Catherine? Yeah, it was Catherine of Siena, right, who, who helped end the schism. Yeah. Yeah. It was Catherine, St. Catherine of Siena that showed him, you know, where he was getting it wrong. Um, so so I'm going to ask for a theological take here. So what what do we make of, you know, Bishop Cordelion ignoring the infamous Morris Letizia footnote, much to um, Supich's chagrin? Uh, what, what, what are we to make of that theologically and people who would like have questions, you know, about that and just, you know, how are we to, to think of this? And I'm not saying, oh, there's magisterial, there's magisterial discontinuity, become a set of a contest. No, that not <laughs> at I all. I just like say something really mm -hmm. quick and then Terrellian can take it over. Well, I think it's pretty clear that we, we have enough magisterial teaching that is more sure about this issue than the footnote in Amoris. Uh, we, we have Familiaris Consortia, we have Canada Law, we have CDF documents we, we, that are you know signed off by the Pope himself. Uh, we have enough magisterial teaching to be morally certain about what to do in a situation like this, such that uh, a very uh, ambiguous statement in a apostolic exhortation, which is very low magisterial authority, I should add, um, that needn't be a a stumbling block to simply clinging to what is more sure in the in uh, 
moral theological practice and uh, ecclesiastical discipline in Eucharistic theology and praxis. You know, we, we have we have enough to go on to not be bothered by it. That that would be my take. Terrillian. I don't really have a take at the moment. Okay. But... Let me mull on it a bit. Okay. That's you fair. You guys continue. That's fair. Um, th th so another thing, you know, interesting in the context stuff is that why I kind of like, you know, the, you know, our Archbishop Gomez is the adversary of the Biden administration is that <laughs> I think they picked him because a lot of the bishops expected Trump to be victorious in Oh, okay. So you, you think they picked him because if Trump was victorious, he would devote most of his time to immigration efforts? It's just such a shame that, I think you pointed this out, we don't have, like, white bishops who are, I guess, who would be, I guess, more on the America First side of things. We have we have Strickland. Which, would, well, he's not, he's not really, I mean, specifically as it re relates to, like, immigration, demographics, issues like this. We don't have anyone in the Episcopate who comes at at it from a self-interested side on part of, like, the historic American nation. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. You know, whereas Gomez is able to be, to, to a large extent, racially self-interested, you know? It's just to say we don't have, like, a, a, an America first sort of, um, at least, political temperament on part of at least one or two or three uh bishops it's just it's just kind of unfortunate but yeah go on right and you know you're not you people that misunderstand us it's like you know we don't we don't want a white nationalist bishop or some stupid crap it's that you know you just want someone who cares about america as america yeah. you know but yeah and so i think that they originally picked uh gomez to be you know a newly reelected president trump's adversary uh and it backfired <laughs> that that's an interesting theory i haven't heard that before but it's probably true because he would have been like if trump were re-elected and technical difficulties rate cut intern cut the microphone <laughs> no to worry no true loss of content das ist gut measures we know that his administration was actually planning on unloading like if Trump would have gotten a second term, it would have been like the most, the most progress on immigration restriction that 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 that, that we've seen in, in in some time in in this country since before the sixty five immigration act. Like it would have been incredible, and if that would have transpired, if that immigration agenda would have transpired, transpired. Gomez, he would not be spending his time on abortion and homosexuality and same-sex marriage and uh, just right. social immorality in general, attacks on the family. He wouldn't be spending nearly as much time on that as he would be on defending the DACA migrants. And, right. Uh, he, 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 and he, he, in fact, was adversarial towards Trump when he was in office. He was. He you was know. very adversarial towards Trump. You know, we, we know this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, this is fun to talk about. I, I love seeing all of these 
old men get in a room and <laughs> and, and 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 glare at each other with, with anger. Um, you know, and I, I'm sure that some of the more historically minded of them imagine themselves as Pope excommunicating each funny. other. Like, I feel like the only people who tune into this stuff are like old ladies and like right wing anons. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's a great club. It's a great club. But uh, any 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 last thoughts, guys? I don't really have any. Okay. But I mean, just to say one thing, I guess. Um, like when we were talking about how to like theologically deal with the like a more Satisa issue, um, I, I and to sort of piggyback off of what you were saying about like the Great Western Schism and how saints can be on both sides of the schism, a crisis like this I think allows for a lot more. Um, understandability and how we approach what we're magisterially bound to. I know that's not necessarily the topic of this program now, but I just want to get this out there that uh, we're getting so much confusion from, from uh, Rome because Rome in many ways is the, the posturing that they're projecting on this issue is at odds with their own canon law. Right. And I think we just have to recognize that, uh, Did they what we're magisterial, what we're magisterially bound to, is very confusing, and we should cut ourselves a little bit of slack in discerning these things. And I wish that some people, loosely associated with our circles, would would give people that much slack, and and they don't seem to be doing that. When there's doubt as to the presence of a law reasonable doubt even if it seems more likely that that law exists than not you're allowed to cut yourself on the slack and err on the side of freedom that is a very respectable probabilism i think is the uh, most reasonable moral theology stance that one can take maybe we can devote a whole show to that but uh yeah Mm -hmm. that's, that's what i would say we can um it certainly was an eventful day and uh Thank you, everyone, for joining us in Cafe and Taberna. Um, please enjoy the hospitality as we show you as we are on our way out. Uh, we will be back again this Friday or Saturday, perhaps next Wednesday. We'll be back at some point. Um, but once, uh, thanks to my guests for being with me, and uh, as always, take care.